Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is 3PL Hurdles to Growth with my friends, Trey Griggs and Isaac Marino. Hey, Trey. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Joe, it's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Hey, Joe. Excellent. Excellent. Looking forward to this topic. Everybody struggles with growth and uh, we're going to talk a few about some of those problems. But before we get into that, I want to hear where you guys are from. Trey, tell us where you work and what you do. Yeah, well, depending on the day of the week or the day of the month, it could be just about anywhere. Uh, I get to travel quite a bit, but my home base is in a small town of Wildwood, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis, about 35 minutes from downtown. And I grew up a Missouri boy, grew up in uh, Kansas City, so I've been a Midwestern most of my life. But fortunately, I get to see uh, a lot of the country and be with a lot of great people. Right. You like to live on the road, right? <laughs> you, and your, you and your wife are. I do. And your yeah. kids. Yeah, not only do I travel for work, which is fun, but we also are an RV family. We had a vision about 10 years ago that when our kids got to middle school, we were going to pull them out of middle school and buy an RV and take them around the country and show them history where it actually happened as opposed to just reading about it in a book. And it actually, that vision came because I was a middle school teacher and I would come home to my wife and say, there's no way our kids are going to middle school. This is brutal. I just felt so bad for the kids. It was such a time of transition right. and change and all of that. And so lo and behold, last year we had our first middle schooler. And so we said, well, if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. So we pulled the trigger. We got a 32-foot Class C that we've really enjoyed. We're planning our trip for the summer, a seven-week trip uh, up the Northeast I-95 corridor to see D.C. and Philly and Boston, New York, Portland, Maine, and uh, check out the history of our country and uh, let them see it in person. So very excited about that. Nice, nice. And you work at Lean. I know you guys just changed the name. Is it Lean Solutions Group? That's correct. Yeah, we recently rebranded to Lean Solutions Group, which is more of a reflection of our company, what we're doing. We do much more than, than staffing. We were formerly Lean Staffing, I but now see. we do much more. We have Lean Tech and Lean Sales, Lean Marketing. And so it made sense to bring it all under one umbrella and one website. And so Lean Solutions Group and LeanGroup.com is our website. So it's all becoming much more unified now as a brand. Right. And what's your gig over there? So I'm the VP of Lean Sales and VP of Sales for our sales team. I coordinate our efforts on the Lean Sales division and help companies with their revenue growth, particularly with what we do down in Colombia. And then I also work exclusively with our sales team and helping them grow and become more organized and you know learn all the good and the bad from my experience in sales to hopefully push them forward. Right. And Isaac, what about you? You've got kind of a, what's your job title? Where do you live now? Yeah, sure. Name is Isaac Moreno. I'm the director of carrier sales for Lean Solutions. Currently right now, I live in one of the offices in Barranquilla, Colombia. So yeah, it's definitely a great opportunity to live here in Colombia. Yeah. And are you Colombian? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm part Colombian. My father is Colombian and Panamanian and my mother's Korean. So I do have a grandmother that's actually Colombian that actually lives in Colombia. So yeah, it's definitely good to be able to visit family here also. But you're from the U.S., right? Yeah, yeah. Like I uh, grew up as a military brat. My father was in the military for 20 years and I had opportunity to live in different parts of the world. I lived in Germany. I lived in Korea oh, wow. for a little bit. And most of my childhood, I lived in Tennessee. And then uh, from there, moved to Florida. And that's where I gained all my education. and stuff like That's that. what you call an all-American boy right there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Living the American dream. <laughs> but I think we, we were prepping, Isaac, we were... I asked if you spoke Spanish. You said, well, I'm learning. I'm, I can speak some Spanish. I was like, that's the problem. Like, you look like you could speak Spanish, and then you have the last name Moreno, and now you're yeah. down in, down there. I keep thinking everyone's walking up to talk to you in Spanish. Like me, 
pale face here, they'd look and go, that guy doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially Colombians here. Like sometimes random Colombians would try to talk to me in Spanish, but sometimes they're like a little curious because like they see that I have, you know, Asian features and stuff. So sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. But yeah, like, <laughs> I do get confused. If they hear my last name, they're like, oh, that guy definitely speaks Spanish. And then when they try to talk to me, I'm like, no, I don't speak Spanish. I'm sorry. It's kind of funny, but. Do you speak Korean? Korean. When I was younger, my mother made me go to Korean school. So like, I did learn how to read and write in Korean and understand a little bit. But I was only wow. in school for about six months. So I didn't really get to actually That is six Korean. months more Korean than I have. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but I'm definitely well cultured in the Korean culture for my mother. And I lived there too for about two years. So yeah, like I definitely learned right. a lot about the culture and stuff. Well, you will understand Spanish before long. But I think the, it's interesting when we were prepping for this, Trey, you mentioned like that's kind of the story of lean solutions. Like all of these people who you go, oh, they're, they're in Colombia, a lot of the companies in Colombia, but they're from the U.S. or have spent time in the U.S. And, is, you know, we, we kind of think of ourselves as culturally distinct, like, oh, the Colombians versus the Americans. It's the same. I mean, there's no, a lot of overlap. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, Colombians are world travelers. A lot of them travel globally for vacations and for education. A lot of our team members grew up in the States or spent time here for high school or for college, right. visit quite often and, and understand our culture. That's actually what's really important is they really do understand the American culture. They understand our sports culture, entertainment, our politics, and just get all of that. And so it, uh, it works out pretty well. Yeah, I remember I was going down to Mexico quite a bit few years ago when you could still travel. And I tried to understand what sports they followed. And I kept asking about their local soccer team. And then they kept coming back to American football and the teams. And, I just, and, and after a while, I said, what's your favorite team? And they're like, the Bears. I'm like, oh, well, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, very much, very much a part of our culture and understand it. So it works really well with our clients. Well, excellent. So you do carry sales down there and you're uh, well, let, we'll get into this in just a second. But before we do, Trey, tell us a little bit about your background before you joined Lean and then tell us why you joined Lean. Yeah, I mean, well, to go back a little bit, I started my career as a teacher and a youth pastor. That's uh, my background. I taught physics in high school and, and calculus and then a little bit of middle school math and science. And then turned to sales when my wife wanted to stay home with our first child. And we became a one-income family and kind of got in that road. Started a DAT uh, back in 2012 in Portland. And I've been with about five different companies in the transportation space, learning about different technologies, TMS systems, tracking solutions, RPA functionality, and, and all those kind of things. I've actually known the Lean crew, particularly Robert and David, for a long time. I met Robert when he started Lean back in 2013, 2014. We met and talked a little bit about this crazy idea of satellite offices in Colombia. And so I've been able to watch him grow this company and be friends with him. Got to know David a few years after that and got to know them along this journey. What really impressed me about Lean is their mindset, their growth mindset, their forward thinking, the loyalty they have from their customers is absolutely tremendous. And, right. and just, you know, I, I've known a lot of their customers for years and the way that they speak about one another, it really is a family here. We treat it as a family of customers. So the loyalty is incredible. And they're always looking to, to provide solutions for the customers. They're very customer centric. What do they need? What's the new issue? How can we solve it? Are we able to solve it or not? And so great, great mindset in that regard. And so when the opportunity arise to come and, you know, be a part of the brand ambassadorship and working with the sales team and all of that, it was just a perfect fit for me. It made a lot of sense. So right. it's just a thrill to get to come here. So we've kind of alluded to it for anyone who doesn't already know, what does Lean do and how do they do it? 
Yeah, so Lean Solutions Group is a pioneer in the nearshoring industry, essentially, which you know a lot of people haven't heard of the term nearshoring. It's kind of a combination of outsourcing and just creating like your own new office, new satellite office. So if you can imagine creating a new branch or new division of your company in Dallas, Texas, or Atlanta, Georgia, and setting that up, we essentially do that for companies down in Colombia, leveraging the incredible bilingual talent that's down there. And you know our customers benefit from you know lower price, they benefit from higher quality, and are able to grow their team at a much faster pace. Our speed to market with hiring is considerably faster than what people are typically able to do here in the States. And so there's a lot of value prop to that, but essentially we're just helping companies set up their own satellite office in one of our divisions. Right. And how many logistics companies from the U.S. have operations down in Columbia with you guys? We currently work with over 150 U.S. logistics companies, including 10 publicly traded companies. And we have just over 2,300 assigned service providers down in Columbia assigned to those teams. I just told somebody it was 120 plus. We've had a good couple of months, actually. (laughs) Our uh, January and February were two of our strongest months that we've had. I think that that, the the remote working situation with COVID has just opened the eyes of managers and directors to say, hey, let's give this a shot. I think this could work. So it's been a good opportunity for us to continue to grow and work with new companies. And what time is it? So it it is morning time here. It's 10 a.m. Eastern. What time is it down in Columbia right now, Isaac? It's the same time. It's 10 a.m. So yeah. See, that's what I, that's the best. So I used to work a lot with, uh, I used to go to China and Thailand quite a bit. And great to work with those people. There are, you know, cultural issues, of course, but the biggest problem is the 24 hours it took me to get over there or the 12 hour time difference. And so you're, you're always screwed up that yeah. you don't have a problem with. So Isaac, what drew you to join Lean? Well, just to talk about like a little, little bit about my background of how I came into Lean. I've been in the transportation industry, particularly the freight broking industry, for about eight years now. I started back in 2012. Uh, most of the companies I worked for were in Tampa, Florida, because I graduated from the University of Tampa. And the first job that I got was in carrier sales. That's where I got most of my experience. I worked in carrier sales for about three years for that company. And then right afterwards, I got into customer sales uh, for a different brokerage in Tampa, Florida. And then from there, there was an opportunity to work for a growing 3PO in downtown Tampa. And that's where I did like account management. And then we got bought out by a larger brokerage. And then that's when I started doing carrier sales. So all in total, I have about eight years experience. And then I just found an opportunity to actually work in Columbia because before I got this job, I was actually frequently traveling to Columbia because, you know, from Florida to Columbia, it's only a couple hour flight. So tourism was, you know, booming in Columbia. And since I'm part Colombian, I just took it as an opportunity to, you know, travel there, learn about the culture, you know, practice Spanish. And actually had a buddy with me that traveled with me one time and he actually had the desire to live in Colombia and he actually now works for Lean Tech. So, I mean, he was kind of the, <laughs> the person that introduced me to, to Lean Solutions because he told me that, you know, there was an opportunity for carrier sales and it just kind of piqued my interest because I didn't think carrier sales was something that was needed in Colombia. So I did more research <laughs> and met with Robert and them. And then the exact job that I do right now is exactly what my expertise is. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have this opportunity to be able to nice. live in Colombia and also do the job that I'm actually good at. So, yeah, I'm pretty now, excited you, about that. Are you- you married? You have kids? Uh, nope. Currently single right Makes now. Makes it a little yep. easier. Yep. yep. <laughs> but like that was another part that was easier for me to like leave my life behind. Is just like you know, pretty much I just had to sell all my personal belongings. You know, like my TV, my couch, and I just packed my stuff and <laughs> pack a and, bag. Yeah, yeah packed a bag and came. Yep. I, I came within thirty days. It was very quick. <laughs> you travel so. light. Well, it's an interesting story. So anyway, today's topic is three PLs hurdles to growth. So 
Trey, tell us what are those big hurdles? And it says you guys work, you have the finger on the pulse of what's not working and what is working. What are the biggest hurdles to growth you see in the 3PL space right now? Yeah, I mean, there's several that we could hit on, but we're going to focus on, you know, three of them for this episode. And, you know, what we're seeing in the industry, for, I'll start with lean sales on the sales side. We see a lot of companies that really haven't thought through the sales process. They struggle driving new revenue. They haven't really thought through, you know, the sales structure, the process, right. who they're going to reach out to, how they're going to reach out to them. What I've found in my own experience and what I see across the board is that a lot of times companies really focus on sales last, which is surprising, right. but they do. Right. And what ends up happening is they often try to find some experienced salespeople that they think they can just hire and that they'll just kind of be the magic solution that will get them, you know, new clients and new revenue. And, you know, they're, they're, that sometimes probably works. But for the most part, you're hiring people, you're probably overpaying them because they're experienced people. They want to, you know, they want to be paid a little bit more. They may or may not be as motivated as they once were at some point in life. And so you end up with kind of this revolving door of experienced salespeople and you don't actually make a lot of progress because you don't have the systems in place and the processes in place. So lead generation and generating revenue is a huge issue. That's one that we see that that really restricts growth on these companies of having a system in place to reach out and, and drive new revenue. That's the first problem. The second one, which we're going to talk about in detail, is around carrier sales. Right now, it is very difficult to secure a truck. And you know, if you don't have good processes, you know, we're finding that companies struggle with that. And it's not new either. That's been a, a struggle for a long time. And Isaac will be able to speak to that in his experience as well. But right now, particularly in this climate, it really is a challenging thing to right. do. It. So that's an issue. And then the other one is recruiting. And we always talk about this at Lean. It is so important to find the best people, the right people who are a right fit. I always like to go back to that movie Miracle, the hockey movie where you know right. he's looking for the best players. And the one guy goes, these guys aren't the best players. And he goes, no, they're the right players, you know, because he knew what he needed for his team and his culture. Right. And so, you know, recruiting and, and having a process in place to find the best people for your organization actually solves quite a few headaches if you get it right. Right. And, it, you know, I love what you said about the uh, lead. In each case, you kind of alluded to the challenge, but also kind of the lack of process. And I spent a lot of time working on the sales problem in the past. And one of the things I always say is, is consistent is people have this, these almost like there's myths out there. Like, and so why we get phone calls, I probably, you probably got the same one guys is that, Oh yeah, I'm looking for somebody who has a book of business and I'll just bring that over. And I was like, how's that work? Like I just, everybody, you know, first off, a lot of people have to sign nine competes, but also if you're working somewhere and I mean, I think it's kind of unprofessional to say, Hey, I'm working at XYZ company. And then one day I call my customers and say, Hey, I moved over to ABC. Right and, right, and all the customers say, "Yeah, sure, I'm all with you." <laughs> exactly. I think that works in some cases. Like if you have a true agency model, where they're you know they're right. already got their own brand and things like that. But when you're talking about recruiting for your company, I completely agree with you. That's a very short sighted solution because if they do bring that book of business, if it actually happens, which a lot of times it doesn't, like it you won't. said, but <laughs> if it actually happens, what's to say that six months from now they're going to do the same thing and go to another company and take the business right. there? Right. I mean, it's a very short sighted solution. I also see it's you're paying your and when you get when you're talking about sales guys. Also, I think the challenge is if I was the guy who just said, I just brought you $5 million in sales, I feel like I have a pretty strong place to go in and ask for more money all the time. And I kind of feel like you live by the sword, you die by it. So what do you think of the solution? What do companies need to do to be more successful at sales? 
Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I think you have to start thinking about the structure of the process, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the process. And, and it starts actually with marketing. I mean, we would go all the way back to marketing and talk about how do companies get to know who you are and what you do and how you can resolve that. One of those ways, obviously, is through sales reps reaching out and having conversations, but it really starts on the marketing side. But what I want to focus on for right now is specifically that sales process. And it starts with having a good structure in place. For example, having a CRM in place, I'm amazed at how many sales organizations are still working off of a spreadsheet or they really haven't invested in a CRM. There's great CRMs out there that aren't that expensive that help you provide structure for your sales reps. And what I think is the benefit of that is that when you provide structure for sales reps, you actually provide efficiency. You create speed because if they're working off a spreadsheet or doing their own system, one, it's not replicable. You can't teach somebody if somebody's just doing their own thing. You know, if you got five different sales reps doing their own thing, you can't teach that and replicate that. So that's going to prohibit growth. But two, I think you slow them down because you don't provide automation and efficiency that a CRM would provide. So we talk about, you know, companies having a CRM in place. And having their process down of what that looks like, what are their deal stages, what do they want sales reps to actually do to work through a sales process. So that's really important. It's good to understand who you're reaching out to, you know, having a data list that you're going to reach out to that's a a high quality data list. Sometimes people will buy a leads list and some of those are good. There's some companies out there that have really good data. It's a good way to start. But you have to start by knowing who you're trying to reach out to and what you're trying to accomplish in those touch points, those outreaches. And then furthermore, how you're going to reach out to them. Where do they live? Where do they reside? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? Is it social media? The value of LinkedIn right now is so powerful because people live there right now from a business standpoint. And you might get a response on LinkedIn faster than you get a response via email. You might get a response faster on chat than you would a phone call. You know, just the way that people are working these days. So just understanding your approach and your methodology of how you're going to do that. So critical to have that. And then probably the most important is hiring. You know, it is so critical to hire the right people, people who are motivated, people who are hungry, people who are competitive. But this is the biggest one, people who are coachable. And I have to say, I've got to brag on my team real quick because we have a group of young guys who fit that mold. These guys are so just like hungry and competitive, but they're incredibly coachable. And it just makes it, again, it's the efficiency and the speed. You can go so much faster if you hire the right people who have that mindset. So again, it's all of these kind of things put together. It's starting that process and working all the way through. I mean, how are your reps going to work together? What are the rules of engagement? What lead can they follow? They'll kill each other if you don't have rules of engagement because they're so competitive. You know, and again, a lot of companies don't think about some of these processes that have been in place. So we try to, you know, coach people through that and help them with that. The companies who already have that in place are the ones that probably benefit the most from what we have to offer because right. it's just a plug and play. They replicate their processes and it's great. Right. So do you run across companies that do the cradle to grave sales? Like, you know, where the guy oh, yeah. is responsible for his own leads and he's responsible for the sales process oh, yeah. and also manages the operations. Yeah. And I take it you run into the other where they say we want an SDR and then we want a sales more guy. More buy-sell model. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We run into so, both of those. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a preference or you say we'll support anybody in doing anything? I mean, I don't know if I'd say I have a preference because I think that both models work in, in certain situations. I mean, mm-hmm. especially in logistics where relationships is so important. Sometimes that cradle grave model really is valuable, but you have to provide the support in order for that to grow because at some point, you know, somebody who's a cradle grave broker is going to run out of bandwidth. They're going to run out of time because they're managing the accounts challenge. and getting new ones. So I think in that model, what I think is best is you look at that agent and say, what are they strong in? If they're strong in sales, then you should provide operations support to help them out so they can continue selling. Right. If they're strong in operations, then you provide sales support. 
so you can get more opportunities, more revenue for them and keep growing that book of business. So, you know, that's how we handle the cradle to grave situation. If it's a true buy sell model, that's probably the easiest plug and play just right. because, you know, we're generating leads and kind of going through the, right. the process they have. But we handle both. And I think both are viable depending on the situation. And we can work with both. Right. I'm kind of partial to the buy sell. And I, one of the reasons I say that is because I like the idea of a, an SDR who his sole job is to get new leads, mm-hmm. you know. He works closely with your marketing group and he gets those leads. And then you've got a sales guy who says, my job is to take that lead and close it. And then I have an ops yeah. team. And then if you ever have anybody in that process, in anybody in that team, move on to another job, get promoted or leave the company, right? you're not screwed, right? You, That's exactly what, right. In the cradle to grave, you go, hey, I bet Trey is responsible for these 10 customers and he's got you know, maybe an assistant or two. That's a challenge because when you leave, then there's the chance that you say, yeah, you know, some of the customers left with Trey or some of them just they were used to him and now they're open to whoever calls. Right. Right. No, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, I think that, that those are issues that are certainly very reasonable that you have to deal with. The buy sell model is much more scalable. Like you said, I think what you lack there is sometimes you lack communication. So you have to have really good communication in place for all these teams to work together on an existing customer, for example. And you also you know, have to have the relationship side of it's going to struggle. You're going to have to right. have somebody who is dedicated to building that relationship and making sure that they know that they're, they're known, that they're cared for in the company and that there's somebody that they can call if they have any issues. Right. Like to me, the communication gap is the struggle there, but it's certainly overcomable without a doubt. I know there's people who are listening go, I've been really successful with the cradle to grave. And I have a good friend who is very successful with cradle to grave. But at this point, I think he's got like eight guys working for him. And, but he's still, he's why people are buying from them right now. Right. If it works, it works. Right. And so, well, here's the other issue I would raise with that as well is if you do cradle to grave, which again, I'm not, I don't go either way, but if you do that, you have to continually find people who can do that, who can do everything. Whereas if you do buy sell, you can specialize people almost like an assembly line. You know, like, do you want one guy building a car, the entire thing? Or do you want, you know, 10 people building the car, doing a specialized activity? I think it's much more scalable and repeatable to do that model. But again, it just depends on what your your values are, what your business is, what you're trying to accomplish. I like also just saying, because one of the things that that happens with those cradle grave guys is somebody, I get these phone calls or somebody calls and says, I own a freight brokerage. And you know... When I got Isaac, he was really hungry. He kicked ass for a long time. He got six customers and now he doesn't get any new business. So I was like, well, that's because he's so focused on those that's six right. customers. That's right. I mean, he's got to, so, somebody's got to manage the freight, got to do all right. the work, track and trace. When, when are you going to make a call? Yeah, I would say it's in order of this. Like when you get there, you have no customers. So all you do is call, make calls, emails. Right. But in order, if you're in that cradle of grave, you say, I work on my current customers first. Anything in the pipeline second, new leads last. Right. And we know what to, so to, you know, the priority of it all, you rarely get to those new leads when you're in that model. That's for sure. Right. So tell me briefly what you guys can do for them at Lean. What do you guys do when somebody says, hey, I'm struggling with sales. Help me out, guys. Yeah, when it comes to lead generation and, and sales in general, you know, as everybody knows, sales is a numbers game and you've got to get the numbers in your favor. That's the biggest thing. And when you don't have the time for whatever reason, maybe you don't have enough personnel or you have a model that just doesn't allow, like we've talked about cradle to grave or whatever it is, the numbers don't play in your favor because you're not making the calls, you're not making the outreach and the activities. Right. And so we're able to put those numbers back in favor of our customers. You know, they hire two to five to 10, you know, BDR, some as many as 20. And the more that you hire, like typically five to 10, you get a better product because there's more right. competition. 
it's more of a team environment. But essentially what we're doing is we're providing you know, the talent that can make those calls, do those emails, make those connections on LinkedIn and have those conversations to warm up leads and schedule them for a U.S. sales team or in some cases do the entire sale. We have reps that do a little bit of both. We've got customers where the rep is doing that, everything all the way up to the close and bringing that you know new account on. And we have other reps who are scheduling warm appointments, qualified leads for a U.S. sales team. So it just more depends than- on what they're looking for. Yeah, so it's more the SDR model for some. Correct. We call it BDR, business development rep, at the same time. Okay. Yep. And so I imagine since you do it for probably 100 companies, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> we, you know, we've gotten it down. I mean, sales is unique because everybody's process is slightly different. Everybody's product is slightly different. So we rely on our customers, obviously, who can provide those, those specific trainings. But, you know, sales is sales. It's a numbers game. It's a process of reaching out and letting people know what you do and seeing how your solution is going to help them achieve whatever they're trying to accomplish. So from that perspective, absolutely, it's replicable. And we've got incredible talent that's doing tremendous work. In fact, we just came out with a case study that I'll, you know, let, providing to you once it's completed and you can share with your audience about a couple of really successful stories that, uh, that will resonate with your audience. Sounds good. Sounds good. So the first problem we talked about was lead gen. The next problem is carrier sales. Nobody can get that. So Isaac, you speak to this one. So first up, what do you mean by carrier sales? Because I will say this, I don't remember hearing that term until about five years ago. And when the first time I heard it, I was like, what is that? What do you mean carrier sales? <laughs> That's very <Why>? true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? <laughs> yeah, I think the very first job that I got in carrier sales was actually called logistics coordinators. I mean, like people mm-hmm. have different names for it. But yeah, carrier sales, they're the main department that's actually in charge of selling the freight for the freight brokerage, building carrier relationships with those carriers and trying to match them with freight and eventually to build a relationship to the point where we can right. get these carriers on contracted freight so that, you know, we don't have to play the market. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, like, that's pretty much the main job for carrier sales is to make profit for the company. So you're you're selling that carrier on work with us. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yes. <laughs> I, I usually hear people say just, hey, I'm in charge of building the carrier network. And now it's, I think it's, you know, when you look at the business we're in, we have two customers. You know, we have the shipper exactly. and we have the guy who moves the freight. Exactly. So you better say, you better take good care of them. So what are some of the challenges people are seeing right now with carrier sales? Yeah. So some of the big problems that most freight brokerages go through and which is, I kind of went through the same thing working with some of these companies is uh, living in a transactional mindset because most freight brokers like to post shipments on, you know, the low boards like DAT and truck stop. And they live in that environment where they're, you know, uh, consistently trying to meet deadlines as far as making sure that loads get covered. And when you're working in that business model, you're usually selling freight the day that it picks up. So, I mean, as far as time sensitivity, making on time pickup. Those are all challenges that a lot of freight brokers go through. And one of the things that freight brokers would like is to not be on the low boards as much and focus more on their carrier network to actually find capacity. So I would say that's probably the biggest challenge across the board, across freight brokers, is not relying on the freight boards to actually, you know, find capacity. Getting out of that transactional load board and over to, I have a good carrier network. So when you're going to build a carrier network and you're doing carrier sales, what does that entail? Yeah, so to build uh, a carrier network first starts off with figuring out what the needs are of those carriers, figuring out what their carrier profile is, uh, what type of lanes that they prefer, what's their backhaul lanes, how many trucks they own, how many shipments they can handle per week. So first is trying to get to know them. So like during my training... I love to make a comparison to dating somebody. It's kind of like trying to date somebody. You're trying to get to know them. You're trying to uh, take them out on dates, which is like booking the freight. And then eventually you want to marry that carrier to the point where you have them on contracted freight. And then from there, you just build a symbiotic relationship with them as far as, you know, meeting the demand. So, I mean, that's 
that's right. definitely a big part of his care relationships. I had a, a little bit of time where I worked for a company that had trucks and it was after I'd already been at a 3PL where we didn't have trucks. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, boy, this is the dream because you, when you're making phone calls to people and you don't have trucks, uh, a lot of times people say something like, oh, do you have your own trucks? You go, no, click. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, well, I guess they want an asset-based company. But when I worked to work for an asset-based company, Every 3PL wanted to talk to me. Every broker wanted to talk to me. And they'd say, you got 500 trucks? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd go, this is excellent. And then somebody would call me from Carrier Network. And then they'd send me an email and say, fill out all this. And I was like, all right, I'm killing it. I fill out all this information. I send them this and send them that. It's not easy. I'm sending them a lot of information. And then I'm calling them the next day. I was like, hey, we talked yesterday. You're pretty excited about getting me in the network. And, you know, what's going on now? And they'd say... Yeah, yeah. If uh, we have some freight for you, we'll call you back. And I'm like, and and then probably about two weeks into that job, the vice president of the trucking company called and said, hey, Joe, don't fill out anything until they give you a load. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I saw it. I was just killing it. But I I, I almost (laughs) felt like these guys were collecting my information. and, And everybody would love to say something like, we work with over 15,000 carriers. Now, I always say when somebody says something like that, how many checks did you write last month? Yeah. <laughs> and it's never 15,000. It's <laughs> probably never 1,000. It's like right. 200. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you avoid wasting their time like that? Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, uh, like you have to be strategic on what carriers you speak to as far as figuring out for one, what are your needs as far as what are you looking for as a freight broker? What lanes? You know, so like the main thing that you have to look at first is what are your highest volume shipments? Because, I mean, you can't really offer a carrier relationship type of business where you're only offering them spot freight, you know? So like um, definitely <laughs> you have to have, you know, like the product to sell to them as far as having good freight, contract freight, year round, high volume, good pricing, that stuff that carriers look for. So yeah, like if uh, you can figure out what those needs are of those carriers and see if you can match them on something like that, then it'll be easier to actually have those conversations. For example, one thing that I like to do is if I have a high volume shipment from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, going to Dallas, Texas, then I'm going to be looking for companies based out of Atlanta, Georgia, or based out of Dallas, Texas, and try to figure out if there's any carriers that need backhaul needs. And then that's how I'll approach the conversation versus just calling them randomly and trying to uh, you know, sell them freight. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely have to figure out what their needs are first in order to get to so that you, relationship. So it's that matchmaker. You got to make sure I've got a good chunk of freight that's going back and forth, and then and then say, look, I got to find somebody who's a good fit. Exactly. And again, I felt abused a little bit as a carrier because again, I I felt like I spent a lot of time getting on people's lists and never getting freight. And then after a while, I was like. They, when they say fill all this out, fill out our carrier package, and maybe that's gotten a little easier. But I would say I will fill out that as soon as you talk about what freight I'm going to move for you next week. <laughs> yeah, and like that's another big problem with freight brokerages. Like you mentioned, like there's a lot of freight brokers that will market their company as having twenty thousand, twenty five thousand carrier <laughs> network. But to be honest, I would say about eighty percent of those carriers in your network are usually one time carriers or they've done business less than five times. So that's the problem right. where I talk about the transactional mindset is a lot of these carriers are being booked through the load boards and they'll just sell the freight and not call that carrier again. You know, so right. like that's the big issue that I'm seeing with freight brokers is having a large care network, right. but not utilizing it to its maximum potential. And I don't even think it's, I don't think anybody's starting this with mal intent. I think it just happens where you exactly. say, oh, Trey, you've got 600 trucks. 
course I want to work. You're in the Midwest. We're, we got freight in the Midwest. And then somehow you just start, you know, you're working with your existing carrier and then somehow it just never, you know, never works out. It's not like you deliberately did. It's a lot to coordinate. You know, you're constantly juggling the needs of your shippers and your customers and your carriers. But I like the fact that you're calling it carrier sales because that speaks to their customer too. Exactly. Well, excellent. So what does Lean do for companies like that who need carrier sales? And everybody needs carrier sales right now. What do you guys do that's different and better than they might do on their own? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like, we actually have a extensive carrier sales training program that we have our candidates go through so that they can get the necessary knowledge to have right. that confidence in doing that job once they start working for the client. And that's not necessarily what's happening in the market. People are just kind of getting on the job experiences. So this, you're the new guy, go over there and get us some carriers, make a whole bunch of phone calls, John. Exactly. Like pretty much whatever the client is looking for, we try to cater those type of skills and qualifications to the people that we actually train in carrier sales. So yeah, it's definitely a big step for them. So you you guys doing carrier sales for hundreds of, let's say, at least 100 companies. So you guys have gotten pretty good at it, where I think there's a lot of 3PLs and brokers who are saying that's not our strength. We do not have a lot of good carriers working with us right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely a big problem across the board with freight brokerages, with carrier sales, for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting because it could have been last year we had this great network of carriers, but the networks that the carriers changed. They had different needs. They might have jumped to a higher dollar business. They might have gotten poached away, but might have had drivers quit. So it's a never-ending battle. Yeah, and that's exactly why it's important for a carrier sales rep to have the skills to consistently follow up with that carrier, have consistent communication, develop a contact cadence where like, where they're keeping track of the carriers that they're actually supposed to be contacting on a weekly basis so that they don't lose touch and lose where these carriers are actually needing their trucks being moved and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely important yeah. to keep in contact with them. Well, it's good stuff. Good stuff. So we talked about 3PL lead gen and sales, and then we talked about carrier sales. So what the last problem we talked about was recruiting. Trey, speak to the recruiting problem that we have in this industry. Yeah, well, as, as we referenced earlier, finding the right people for your company is so critical. It's so critical. But, you know, there are a couple of different segments in particular in which, you know, the recruiting side of it is very challenging. One of those is driver recruiting. It's very difficult to acquire really great drivers and to retain them. In our industry, the turnover rate is just through the roof. And companies, especially asset-based companies who need to make sure that they have qualified drivers in this climate, we're able to help out in that regard. And recruiting is essentially lead generation for the right people, finding the right people and, and getting them, you know, aware of your company and interested in potentially working with your company. So driver recruiting is one area. But just general recruiting is critical as well because you want to have the best people on your team. You know, So we're working in that regard to help out with that. Obviously, we can provide a lot of the staffing. But if there's a need in the States to have people local in the States, we're able to, to work with companies and help them to supplement their recruiting efforts because a lot of them just aren't set up to do their own recruiting very well. Right. And you guys, obviously, you got thousands of employees, so you're used to recruiting. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of the bread and butter of our business, you know, and a lot of, you know, companies, especially transportation, like I said, don't have that department. So they rely on outside recruiters and whatnot. And that can be really great for strategic positions, no doubt about it. But a lot of the more entry level positions or things that need to be stateside, they're just not set up to go out and find the right people, let them know about their company and get them interested in working with them. Right. And I would also say this. So one of the things you see in recruiting is you'll see People will say, here's some resumes, here's who you should talk to. They're not always saying, I've spent 30 hours on it. It can be just hand off resumes to the, the hiring manager. So 
in a lot of ways, that's not always a job that requires 30 years experience. You know, if you're an executive recruiter, it's a little different. But if you're trying to hire, to your point, entry-level guys, especially with LinkedIn, we have such a resource with LinkedIn. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. You can find a lot of the right people on LinkedIn. So virtually all of them. Yeah, but I, w- I would say this, it, it really is a, you know, kind of a, a numbers and a time game as well with recruiting. And, you know, just like Isaac had mentioned, you know, with getting to know carers and what their needs are and what they want and making right. it where they want to work with you because you've invested the time. That time is so difficult to come by, especially for, you know, if you have a one HR personnel in an office, it's hard for them to do that, to really pan through, you know, 30, 40, 50 resumes and get to know the candidates and figure out which one might be the best fit because what's on paper is not always what's the reality of that right. candidate how they're going to fit for your company. So having recruiters that can make those phone calls and do initial assessment calls and get to know them and say, I got a good feeling about this one here. You know, they, I think they'll fit our culture because, you know, now they're working with them from a cultural standpoint, a recruiting standpoint, and having that time to get to know the candidates is going to make the process more efficient. In our opinion, going to you know, find better candidates, which is what it's all about. Excellent. Excellent. So we've talked about these hurdles to growth. One is lead gen and sales. One is carrier sales and one is recruiting, especially lately driver recruiting, but just in general, recruiting great people to your company. Trey, why don't you give us, why don't you summarize this topic for us? And then uh, I want to get some final thoughts from you too, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, you know, in general, you know, the reason that Lean Solutions Group exists is to help companies to grow and to grow in strategic ways and in somewhat unique ways, you know. And so, when we're, again, like I said, we're always looking at customers to see what problems are they having, you know, and how we can help out. Right. So those are the ones that we're seeing and, and the ones that we're tackling at Lean Solutions Group where we can best help companies come alongside them and truly partner with them to provide the resources they need to overcome a lot of these issues. Nice, nice. So final thoughts on this topic, Isaac? Yeah, for me, just talking about carry sales, like I just feel like the current training program that we have right now for carry sales is very beneficial. We really uh, harp them in the aspect of trying to build carry relationships. So like that's a very big focus in our training program because we want them to actually go out there and work for these clients and use their right. abilities as far as speaking Spanish to, you know, tap into the Spanish speaking market and build care relationships well, with those type of companies. So yeah, like it's definitely a big opportunity here at Lean Solutions with the carry sales program that we do have for the future candidates that we can provide our clients, you know good quality clients with high intelligence and highly educated. So definitely excellent. excited about that. Excellent. Excellent. So before we wrap this bad boy up, what's going on over at Lean? We've had, we've alluded to a little bit of what, what Lean does, but who do you guys serve and how do we reach out to you guys? Yeah. So primarily, you know, we have served exclusively the transportation and logistics industry for the last eight years. And that's still our bread and butter. I would say that probably 90 to 95% of our client base is in the logistics industry. But with our new divisions, you know, we have, we've had lean staffing for years, but with lean tech, that's been going for about three years now and doing really well with, you know, IT projects, RPA, which is huge and supplemental development. what, What is RPA? RPA is robotic process automation, which is just basically taking those you know, mundane tasks that are repetitive and automating them so that a worker can actually be more efficient and not have to spend so much time on the automated, like the mundane stuff that every office tends to have. So, And especially in our industry, and this is kind of off topic, but our technology is so antiquated and fragmented that a lot of times they don't talk to each other. And so a human has to actually do the talking to you know, the, from one technology to another, and automation can actually bridge that gap. And so we're helping companies bridge that gap with RPA and with some of the other middlewares that we're helping provide from a lead text 
standpoint, as well as those dedicated developers for the teams that do have an IT team and they're looking for supplemental development. That's been huge. Lean Sales has been taking off here in, in 2020 and moving into 2021, just absolutely just knocking out of the park. You know, companies are seeing that they can generate more revenue and more opportunities by having a great team in Colombia. And then what's kind of, you know, the unheralded hero of Lean is the marketing side, because a lot of transportation companies either don't have really a marketing approach or they might have one person who's tackling marketing. Or in most cases, they'll tell the sales director, hey, we need to do some marketing. And they don't have the right resources in place. They don't have a process. They don't have a strategy in place. And so we're able to help supplement with that either on like a retainer, you know, marketing deal where it's more like an agency style, as well as finding great marketing talent. So if a company wants to supplement with a great graphic designer or a copywriter, we're doing that as well. So those are all the things that's happening at Lean. And like I said earlier, you know, putting it all under one umbrella in our Lean Solutions group, we're about to start uh, BPO and we're moving into new industries. What is BPO? BPO is business process optimization. And so that's where, you know, we're working with companies more on more transactional type of activities as opposed to dedicated staffing, for example. So just, again, finding the the problems that customers have and finding solutions to that is what we're all about. And because of all the different divisions that we have now, we're able to move outside of transportation and start working in other industries. So we're learning about energy and health insurance and financial services and these other sectors that could use the services that we provide as well. And so that's where, you know, probably a lot of our growth is going to come as well as we're still going to keep pushing transportation. That's our bread and butter. That's what we know. But getting the opportunity to now go into some new industries is very exciting. Right. And, you know, I think it's also interesting about lean. I had Alfonso on talking about robotic process automation, which, by the way, guys, if you if you get a lot of emails that are kind of give me a freight quote, give me a freight quote, give me a freight quote, that can all be automated. And I don't mean for like a lot of money, very affordable. And what's also yeah. what's very cool about that robotic process automation, I, I've learned just from talking to lean people over time is that they had all these back office operations and then they realized that you know, technology is going to replace a lot of this. So they started a technology company. So the ideas of what can be automated in this space, what can be made better with technology, they're sought firsthand in their own business. So when you come to them and say, hey, can you help me fix this? They're like, yeah, we fixed it at our house already. <laughs> so That's exactly right. You know, there's always going to be those jobs that do require a human personnel to handle that. But the more that we can create those automations and efficiencies, it actually just makes the job more enjoyable right. for the ones that are doing it. They can work faster. They can get more done. It's just where the, you know, right. the industry is headed. Right. And the, the idea of Humans have to do human job, but there's a lot of jobs that we would like to be automated. And that's nice to have that automation. So, Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, how do we reach out and talk to you guys? Yeah, so the first thing is to check our website out, which is leangroup.com. You can learn a lot about our company and request information through that as well. We have some case studies on there. We have blogs we've written, so there's great content to find out You know, some of our yep. expert analysis and expertise is there. But most importantly, you, know, you can find us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us personally. I mean, Isaac and I are both on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So whatever platform you want to reach out and ask questions and schedule a call, we're excited to you know get to know new companies and to share our, our products and services and see how it's a good fit. Yep. What I'll do is I'll put a link to Lean Solutions Group in the show notes. I'll also put a link to Isaac and Trey's LinkedIn profile and anything else you guys give me. You added some sort of white paper, so we'll put that up there too. And uh, it's a great group and it just keeps growing. You guys are also on that Inc. 500 fastest growing company, right? That's correct. 2019 and 2020, we were on both of them. We were in the 400s, I believe, in 2019. And in 2020, I believe we were 357. And, uh, you know, looking to add to that, we had, uh, we're in the midst of our best quarter ever at Lean. And so that's very exciting. So, you know, hopefully we'll be on that list again. But most importantly, you know, we're just excited to you know get to meet a lot of new customers and help more people out. That's what it's all about. 
Excellent, excellent. Isaac, thank you so much. Nice meeting you. And Trey, I've known you for a long time. So thank you so much. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about these hurdles to growth. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you so much. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 